Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. this morning excited about what God's doing. I know this is a crazy season, but we're going to be faithful to keep serving in the season. Amen. As we pray today on the things we were doing. Hey, I just want to give a shout out again, the women's uh, thing next week. Uh, it's an outreach thing. Guys, if you know of somebody that just needs to be touched in the ladies ministry, contact Julie, my wife, um, so we can make sure they're taken care of. They're going to be doing a drive-by, you know, not like a drive-by bye. Okay, uh, not, I know that's different type of drive-by. Okay, <laughs> when a blessing drive-by. But um, next week we're going to be doing that. Then the Hope Toy Drive, if you haven't signed up to participate in the Hope Toy Drive, man, if you haven't done that before, I want to encourage you to jump out. I'm going to serve thousands of families through, through what we do. I know we're not doing the big fest like we normally do, but this is another way by which we can serve our communities and bless some of the kids. Amen? Hey, we're going to finish off the sermon series called Profitable this morning. And so if you turn your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1 this morning, as we look at verses 23 to 25, we're going to finish it off, and then we're going to go into the Christmas sermon series uh, next week and start the kind of the messages on that. Hey, if you haven't come out, our, our Lemon Grove site will be open up uh, tonight for a service tonight at 5 o'clock. If, if you're online or want to come and join us, we're still going to do our, our Sunday night service tonight at the Lemon Grove site at 5 o'clock. Come and join us there. But open up Philemon chapter 1. We're looking at verses 23 to 25. Hey, guys, you know, back in the day, before there was propane, when you bought these propane things for barbecues, we used to use a thing called charcoal. Remember? Remember charcoal? You used to get charcoals, those briquettes, and you used to put them in the barbecues, and then you just get the lighter, and you used to put them on, and I, some of you pyro guys would pour it on really, really thick, right? And then you would light it, and then what it would do is it would heat up the charcoals. And the charcoals you would watch, but it would take you about 10, 15, 20 minutes to get those charcoals working, right? Because they would heat up and then each one would heat up, they would heat up the other one because you would stack them and they would heat up each one. But what happens if you took one of those little briquettes and you put them off to the side, if it wasn't connected with the other charcoal briquettes, it would eventually die out. Because the heat of each charcoal actually heats up the rest of the charcoal. And that's kind of like a, a community of charcoal working together that would be heated up. And I think that's why community is so important today. In a time of COVID, we still need community. And what happens is isolation is like the charcoal. If it separates us, we can't stay heated up. We can't be on fire. We can't be heated up for the gospel. And we can lose out on the power of this community we know that community is profitable. And if we've missed anything this year, we've missed community, right? Especially during this COVID situation. And we've moved away, even in our church service, we've moved away from one of the most, most profitable times in our church service was just the greeting time. Why we, we, we moved away from the hugs and the handshakes to the fist bumps and the elbow bumps and, and those things and to the high five waves and distance. We, we've missed this connection of community. We've missed it. And you can't deny the impact that has happened. You only have to hear what the officers are saying today, even in our own communities, that as many are dealing with depression and anxiety and even suicides in our community. In one day, there were six to eight suicides just in this neighborhood because of the lack of community. And so this COVID season, where we were given some challenges, of, 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 even with the closing of our schools, the closing that the schools where our kids' community to go and see their friends every single day and, and have life and be with teachers. And, and so what did we do? They, they had to jump online to online learning, right? This has been a hard time for some of our kids, a difficult time. Some are struggling to even in their own educations to learn and to grow. And some don't even have internet. They're struggling to get that or parents are working so they lack accountability. And so you're just seeing the struggle of our young people. And that was why in response to this thing, we've, we've launched our pods the last couple of months. 
with Sandra and, and Pastor Scott and all these things because now we have kids from the, this neighborhood. What They're coming to our church, walking to our church so they can learn online and we're providing opportunities for them to grow and learn. But we know that we need a community to do that. So we partnered with Urban Youth Collaborative with our own ministry with Pastor Nate and UYC. We partnered with Young Life. We even partnered with our, our partner with All People's Church so they brought some of their college students to help us. We partnered with different ministries to come here today what in community to service these kids that are coming in the neighborhood that have what they're Hindus and Muslims and, and Buddhist kids coming and they're asking questions about who this Jesus is and we get to share the gospel one of the reasons why we've chosen to, 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 to stay open and serve because we know that this is vital this community is, is vital to the life of our young people to the life of our church to the life of our people it's vital we need that and yet, it, 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 this, this COVID thing has isolated so many people today. If you want to serve, we have an opportunity to still serve in there. So I'm throwing a little PSA. I know Pastor Scott could sure still use hands as we have schools calling us and saying, can I send more kids? We have kids, homeless kids that need help. We have all these kids that need help. Can we send them? We need more help to, to be able to come alongside a lot of these things. I believe that's what Paul is doing here in his letter. In the close of his letter, he's recognizing all that community that's been a part of him serving for the kingdom. He's mentioning a bunch of names of these people that are pastors and friends that have been serving with him, specifically those to further the kingdom of God. And he mentions them by name. I know Paul always surrounded himself with people to grow and to serve together. Though he is physically bound in a prison right now, in a Roman prison, his tongue isn't bound. And he sends greetings from prisons to the church in Philippi, in Colossae to a man specifically named Philemon. That's his letter, who was part of the ministry of Colossae in the Colossian church. His tongue is not bound to be, to express his, his value of community and that it is profitable for that. He wants to be a person that keeps the heat and keeps glowing and keeps the fire going, that he would be the, the light of the world. We know that isolation, we know, is contrary to God's design. God's even in community, even in his triune nature, because he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's triune. Guys, we need one another dearly. Amen. We need that. We need that. And as much as we've been isolated, as much as all these things are going on, I, I, I just pray that we will remember that, right? We're coming to the close of, of, of Paul's letter to Philemon, this personal letter to a friend and his family that, that was challenged at how to have proper relationship with one another. And so Paul closes his letter with greeting from his fellow laborers. And so I want to read it, and then we're going to break it down. It's only three verses we're looking at this morning. It's just a list of names, but there's some great stories in these lists of names and the impact of community here. Starting at verse 23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. A Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray this morning for your hand upon our time. As we just talk about the importance of friendship, as we talk about the importance of community, as we talk about the importance of being together. Lord, in a time that we've been isolated and, and divided and separated, Lord, your, your value, your principle of community is more needed than ever. And so I pray your hand uh, upon our time. For those that are watching online, may they be hearing your word. For those that are here present, may they hear in your word because the hearing it builds our faith, Lord. It strengthens our faith. So may the washing of your word be poured out this morning. Father, may your people be refreshed by the word of God and, and by your spirit, Lord. And I pray that you give me the words that I need to speak this morning that will touch the hearts of men and women in this room online. For those who hear this message, that they would be encouraged. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, the, my sermon title again is Community is Profitable. Community is Profitable here. And the first thing that is profitable is that we need shepherds or leaders they're profitable. Those that are mature in the faith are profitable in our life. Specifically, we're getting into here as we look up Epaphras here. Look at verse 23 as we talk about spiritual leaders are profitable. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. 
you know, to be a part of a community means you want to be around people that are a little bit more mature than you so you can grow. Because we know that iron sharpens iron. We know the importance of growing together and maturing together. And so we believe here the importance of Epaphras that is mentioned here. That he is the, many believe that he is the pastor of this church here. We know that he was grounded, Lord, grounded in, in Christ. We know that he was the leader here. We know that this book, Paul's writing in prison, so we call it a, a prison epistle, this book called Colossians, right? And so we know that he writes the book of Colossians and he sends it to Colossae. We know he writes the book, Paul writes the book of Philemon and he, he sends it to that area, same area, which is Colossae, which is in the, the region of Turkey, which is about 100 miles from, from Ephesus, He's, he's writing this letter to encourage the saints. And we know Ephesus is most likely the pastor here. And Paul here in his letters, both these letters of Colossae and Philemon, he's really addressing the issues of being spiritually, mentally tough in these hard times. And so he challenges us to be rooted and grounded in Christ, to, to have our roots deep. Guys, if anything's been tested during this season, it's been our faith. What do we really believe about God? What do we really believe about these things? How has how, how our faith grounded us in the midst of this whole COVID and, and race issue and, and, and pandemic and, and you know, the polarizing of politics and all that's been going on? How do we still stand up for the kingdom? How do we still deal with the realities of our world? How can this church still be relevant? It's, it's by being in community and working and striving together and being rooted in Christ. The first thing we see about Ephesus is number one, he was a prisoner of war. He was a prisoner of war. He was incarcerated with Paul. I believe Ephesus really modeled what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, you know, I call it MP. We're not a man pleaser, you're To be a disciple of Jesus is hard. To be a follower of Jesus is difficult. There's a cost to it. Okay, and when we see this, right, he, he's a prisoner of war because number one, he was a church planner, right? He was invested in the kingdom of God. He invested in the, the work of God. He gave himself to the kingdom of God. He was a bond servant. He was a prisoner. We see all these things here. He's identifying not only as a prisoner of war and being incarcerated, he's identifying with Paul and Jesus Christ's own suffering. We see him suffering here in prison. I say this, as the scripture says, if we're going to suffer, let's suffer for doing good, not for doing evil. Okay, if we're going to go through it, let's go through for the righteousness sake, not for unrighteousness sake. And so here they were, they were serving and they were following and he was giving his life as a fellow prisoner. He was bearing the burdens of the battle together with Paul. Guys, we're, as a community, we got we to gotta journey together in the battle of service. In the battle of the things that are going on together, we have to be a knit community in order to get through these things. Because Epaphras understood spiritual warfare. He understood battles. He was a soldier. And he was battle ready. And he's willing to lay down his own life because he didn't count his own life as his own. I think what's going on today is sometimes we're so afraid of these things, we forget that our own life is not our own. That, that we have a master, we have a servant that we, we follow and we're called to come under his authority and under his calling. And I think we've forgotten our position sometimes of that in Christ. I think we've we, we, we gotten away from understanding the cost of discipleship that we read in, in Luke chapter 14 and 25 to 53. Understanding this, to be a disciple of Christ, he must come first. If you go all the way to Luke chapter 14, it says, it talks about it. You need to hate your mother, brother, father, sister, even your own life if you want to be my disciple. That Christ needs to become first in our life. You want to be a biblical follower of Jesus? Jesus needs to be first. He's, Jesus drew the, bar, the, the line in the sand. You either for me or you against me, either with me or you're not. He made it really, really simple. There's, there's no cloudiness in that. If you want to follow me, Number two, he said that to be my disciple, you need to bear up your cross and follow him, right? You need to bear, there, there's some things that we need to put to death in our own life if we want to follow Jesus. He's not saying that we put to death our visions and our passions and our dreams, but he is saying put to death some things that hinder us from our walk and following him. 
Sometimes that might be our own pleasure. Sometimes that might be our own convenience. Sometimes that might be on our resources. Sometimes we have to put together, put to death some of those things in our life in order to be a follower of Jesus. Even our own lives. Lastly, he said, to be my disciple, you need to even deny yourself to say goodbye to the old and enter into the new. To, to, to put to death those things, to deny. Yeah, there's some things even today I need to die in this COVID situation. There's some things I need to put to death in order to follow Jesus. And it's risky and it's hard even unto death. That, that's what he's laying here. What do you see? Of, why, is, why is Epaphras as the shepherd laying down as an example of being the shepherd? He, he, he was passionate about Jesus. He was passionate about Christ. He had a love for God. In fact, his name means lovely, right? What a great character quality for a shepherd. Lovely. Everything he did was love-based here. We know that he was a friend of Philemon because they shepherd probably together in Colossae. And they were meeting in his home as we read that Philemon opened up his home for the ministry and he shared his resources to be able to build the kingdom of God in Colossae. We know that he collaborated with his wife, Aphia, and their son, Archippus, his son. We know that he probably served with them. He was a man of zeal. He was a man of, of passion for his brothers and sisters in, in Colossae. We read that in Colossians 4.13. He had great energy and enthusiasm for the people. He was loving, he had love, loving zeal. He had this righteous zeal for the people. I think that's why he was willing to be in prison for that, willing to give his life up for that, willing to do that. We know that he's called a bond servant. He is, he's called a fellow servant of Christ. It's the word doulos in the Greek, right? When, when, when Paul writes him and describes him as a faithful minister, the word doulos there means an attendant, like a waiter at a restaurant who tends to the need of that moment. It means devoted to one another to disregard one's own interest. That's what a doulos, a servant, a minister is. Not looking for his own interest, but the interest of others. That's the mind of Christ expressed in Philippians chapter two. When you think about what God wants that shepherds and leaders are caring for the care of the people at, at all risk even. That's why we're here this morning, that we would shepherd and care for those in need. And he was a loving, serving shepherd, and he was marked by love. But we also know that he was a man of prayer. He was committed to prayer as we see in Colossians 4.12, it says, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Not only was he passionate, he was a man of prayer. He committed himself to pray for the sheep. He, he committed himself to pray for the people. And we see that here. So my thought really about Epaphras as a leader, as a shepherd, he's, he's shepherding this community of people. He's shepherding Philemon's household. He's shepherding, he's pulling together. He's praying for them. He's serving them. He's laying his life down. He's, 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 he's walked with Paul and identifying with Paul's struggle. He's like the coal. He says, I'm this coal burning and I want this coal to go to other people that they would burn, that this community would be heated up for Christ. We're all, guys, you understand that we're all shepherds at one point or another. We're, we're shepherds of our own families. We're shepherds in our businesses. We're shepherds in our church. We we're, we're, have some role of shepherding and that we are to be like that charcoal to ignite other people and keep that going. That we're not called to be in isolation. That's why we need to be with other people. And my wife and I, we were up in LA and we, had, we were driving by and we stopped to meet with one of my, my mentors and have lunch with them. And because we needed that community to keep going forward that the encouragement would come be pouring out into our own lives. I just noticed that one of my mentors here is in the back room right there, Pastor Phil and Kathy in the back from Denver, Colorado. Good to see you guys here this morning and stuff. These were people that have poured into my life, that have, have poured in, that keep things going and spoke into, we need shepherds and leaders. Paul, you always need a Paul and a Timothy in your life to, to pour into and you can pour into others. That's part of shepherding. That's part of building the community. Who are those people in your life that you would have? And so we need shepherds that are profitable in our life to shepherd us in the community. But also I think friendship is profitable. Number two, we see that in verse 24. 
the greeters. He mentions not only is Ephesus greeting from prison with, he's also, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. I love this. About less than a year ago, we all grieved the fact that Kobe Bryant had passed away with his daughter and a couple other people in a helicopter crash. And I, I was honored to watch the memorial service as I heard about their testimony. And, and Shaq tells a story about Kobe. In fact, the story goes like this, you know, because Shaq was the, the center, played for the Lakers for a year. They got a couple NBA uh, 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 championships together. And one time they were playing in the game and the team was upset with Kobe because he wasn't passing the ball. And so they went to Shaq and they said, can you talk to Kobe that they can share the ball a little bit? And so Kobe, so Shaq goes to Kobe and says, hey man, you know, there's no I in team. Pass the ball. And he says, no, but there's an M-E, me in team. And, and, and you would think that, well, like how selfish it is. But if you really heard the stories of as Jordan, Michael Jordan, others came forward, what was going on was that when Kobe was a young man in the NBA, he was calling up a lot of his friends, a lot of his player friends, Michael Jordan, these mentors, these leaders. And he was saying, how do I do this? And how do I do that? And he would play with other players and they would get in communities and he was learning and growing. And that community helped him develop his success because he labored hard. He took responsibility. He had the mom mindset, but he, he took personal responsibility to work hard, but he also worked in community with other players so that he could have success. Guys, you want success in the ministry? You need friends to help push you in the community to be successful. You need people in community to help you grow in your faith. You need people not only in that, but in all aspects. Mothers, you need a mothers around you that have been parenting to help you mother your kids and shepherd your kids. If you're in business, you need people shepherding you in business. If you're in ministries or whatever it is you're in, you need people in community helping you shepherd so you can be successful. We see that taking place as he lists here. Paul had friends who he called on and trusted to serve to be great in the kingdom. We're not only to be rooted in Christ, but we are to deeply be rooted in friendships in the church. A community of friends in the faith will help you grow in the faith. Help you grow in the faith. I love this. There's several names mentioned here. And he mentions four fellow laborers, friends of the faith. And we're going to look at their stories because there's narratives in these names. Sometimes we could go through the Bible and we could read all these names, but I would encourage you to look at the stories of these names, the testimony, the biographies of, of these names. The first one he mentions is Mark. You might know him as John Mark in the Bible. And I said he went from being fearful to being faithful. At this time, he's older in his faith, he's older as a man. He's, a, he's in some sense a, a seasoned friend when by the time you get to this letter, we know that he's the, the cousin of Barnabas, right? So we know that Barnabas had a sister and this was, was the son of his sister that, that John Mark, who Barnabas took under his wings a little bit there. We know that John Mark grew up in a Christian home because oftentimes his, the, he had opened up, his mom would open up the homes for prayer. We can read that in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. We know that he's the author of the gospel of Mark. We know that Peter dictated that and we know that he was a disciple of Peter because Peter referred to him as the son in the faith in 1 Peter 5, 13. And now we see him with Paul as he greets Philemon in the letters. We see him as a, a fearless man in some sense. He's in jail. He's a, he's a, he's part of it. But Mark, John Mark wasn't always that way. In fact, John Mark, John Mark was actually a runner. I called him a, a runner. In fact, you've got to go all the way back to, to uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. If you want to do some homework, I'm going to give you the verses so you can do some research in your own study. You remember Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray right before they're going to arrest him. This is the, the Passover time. He's, he's there. He asked the disciples to come follow him. Remember, they met in an upper room. Some believe it might have been John Mark's family's house. And they're hanging. And little John Mark, he's probably a little boy, a teenager. And he's watching him as they're breaking the Passover meals. He's watching him as disciples are gathering. And then it, it says that Jesus went to Gethsemane. The disciples went to go pray. And John Mark doesn't necessarily say his name, but in his gospel, Mark, he referenced himself in his story. I can imagine he's walking with the disciples, watching what's going on. They're in the garden. Everything's going on on until what the soldiers and those leaders come to arrest Jesus. And the Bible says what that 
there was this young man. They grabbed him and he ran out of his clothes, but naked. Can you imagine in your own gospel story, in your own gospel narrative, you're writing about your own fear and failure. And it talks about how he ran away. Some believe that's, that's John Mark there, telling his own story, his own fearful heart. You only have to turn to Acts chapter 12 through 15 as you study the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, right? In fact, they saw John Mark as an assistant. We see that in Acts 13, 5. And Paul has now come, has come to faith and now he wants to go share the gospel. And he wants to do these journeys and in the neighborhoods going out and share the gospel. And so Barnabas, who is the son of encouragement, who actually advocated, we talked about that for Paul when the disciples wouldn't receive him. He says, let me advocate. Let me, let's bring my cousin, my nephew with me. And let's go on this first missionary journey. And they travel and they're traveling on their first missionary journey and, and they're going out. But along the way, what do you find? John Mark getting a little afraid. They've been traveling. Maybe cold nights, maybe not a lot of food, some inconvenience, some difficulty, some struggle. And he's, he's journeying. When they get to Pamphylia, he's like, checking out. I'm out of here. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And he checks out. And he leaves him hanging. And he goes back home. Maybe he's Miss Mama. You know, maybe he's a mama's boy. I don't know what it was, but he checked out. Well, after Barnabas and Paul come back and they meet with the, the church of Antioch, they want to go back on their second missionary journey. But Barnabas, the, the encourager, right? The, the, the mediator, the, the advocate says, hey man, let's, 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 let's give John Mark another try. Let's take John Mark with us. Come on. And Paul said, ain't having it. No, he's not going with us, man. He, uh, he, he abandoned us. He, he left us. He deserted us. He left us in, in Pamphylia right? And it says the contention was so hard between Paul and Barnabas, they both went their separate way. Barnabas went with John Mark and Paul went to Silas to continue on to the journey. And we see that. And you would think, man, this is happening in the church? This is crazy. But we know that we all have to mature in community. We all have to mature in our own walk. We're learning, we're growing. That's what we do and so somewhere down the line, there's reconciliation that takes place between Paul and Mark. In fact, even in his own writings, Paul writes this in Colossians 3.13. He writes, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If one has complained against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also forgive. I think as Paul wrote these words to the Colossian church, as Mark is there, I, I could think his mind of this process of reconciling with Mark because later Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.11 that he says, tell, tell John Mark to join me because what? He's profitable for me in the ministry. He's profitable. Paul received Mark like Paul is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus. There is a process of forgiveness. And I think guys in the ministry, sometimes we're young, we don't want to deal with, we have to learn forgiveness. We have to learn the ministry. We have to learn those types of things. And there's a process, but we do that in community. And now we find John Mark standing with Paul in his deepest and hardest difficult time in prison. Right? The story there. Then he, he talks about how greeters greet uh, Aristarchus. I call him the courageous leader a native of Thessalonica, right? He's a companion of Paul. He's a compadre of Paul. He's journeyed with Paul. His, his name means the best ruler. He's named with Gaius in the rites of Ephesus. You go to Acts chapter 19 and 20, we hear the story as there's the journeys going on and Paul's having an impact for the kingdom of God and the gospel's being preached and all these things are going on. And at Ephesus, they say, hear how Paul has ministry. And, and you know what? The gospel affects economics. The gospel changes systems. The gospel does all those things. I remember when we were at Park Boulevard and we were doing the feeding of our, our the, the food distribution and there were so many people coming on that the city called us and said, hey man, you got so many people going to your church. We're going to send out another bus so your people can get to your church to get your food. 
It was changing systems. The gospel does that. And what's happening here is Paul comes preaching and Ephesus was a pagan society. They had to worship Diana there. They had an arena where they would worship. And guess what? Because the gospel was being preached, people weren't buying idols anymore, right? People were being healed. They weren't buying. And so the economy of that city was dropping because these people weren't worshiping pagan idols and worships and everything. And so this, 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 this Demetrius, this silversmith started getting angry and he started getting stirred up because now this gospel is affecting my pocketbook. It's, it's touching me. And because now these people are living righteously. And so the silverman starts getting the crowd up on the rise. And they start saying, hey, man, this Paul, man, he's stirring up trouble. And he's doing all these different things. And so now they're t- we're taken away from our worship. And so they, they gather everybody. They're worshiping. They're praising Diana. All these different things. Well, in the midst of all these riots, they pull out Gaius and, and, and uh, Aristarchus. They pull them out of the house. And they kind of take them in the midst of the riot. And they're being like kind of the whole crowd, like a mob is coming. And they pull them out of the house. Saying, hey, where is this? Paul guy, man, we're searching for him. They were caught in the midst of the, he was in the midst of this riots. And they wanted to interrogate him. We see that, but he was willing to say, stand up for the gospel in the midst of all that, right? We know that he traveled, this servant, his courageous servant, traveled with Paul to Rome to enter the and enter ships that would later be capsized and as he travels in boats. You don't have to read that in Acts 27. He, he's willing to take risks that, and get into boats that would eventually be shipwrecked because of storms in the journey. Guys, we need to be courageous in these times of this own storm that's hitting right now that we as a community will be in the same boat as a people. As a unity of the people, we need to be this in this storm and ride it out. Tradition has it that he was martyred under Nero during persecution of the church. We see Aristarchus, you see this leader, this courageous leader. God's looking up for some heroes and, and have courage, hupfa as a church, and not to be fearful as a church. Aristarchus was a, a risk taker because he was known as a fowler prisoner of Christ. And much of his risk that he took was done in community. In fact, he is listed with eight servants in Colossians 4, 7 through 17. There's something about ministering together. There's something about power in community and power in numbers. Guys, we want to make it in this season. We need to be together. You ever walk down the street and you see a mob of people coming and you're by yourself? What do you do instinctively? You go to the other side of the street. In my neighborhood, maybe. I don't know about yours. But, but there's something about power in numbers. We got to be on the same boat, the same ship, the gospel, the church. That's the boat we're in. That's what we're sailing in, no matter what the storm is. And so we see that here, this courageous leader. But I think I think of Demas this morning. I love this, right? I called him faltering in faith, the casualty of service. What I love about the Bible that it's raw and it's real. That it doesn't hide the, 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 the black spots either. We, we, it's not always, it doesn't always have a good ending, right? It speaks about the truth of, of who we are. In the Bible, not everyone finishes well. I want you to hear that. In the Bible, not everyone finishes well. The Cain and Abel story, Cain didn't finish well. Lot's wife didn't finish well, Right? King Saul didn't finish well. Solomon didn't even finish well. Judas didn't even finish well. They all faltered in their faith. And now we come to the story about Demas. Demas. Demas is mentioned three times in in the scriptures, in Colossae, Philemon, and 2 Timothy. In the letters of Colossians, he's listed as one of the greeters of the church. He's a companion of Paul. In Philemon, he's numbered with those who labored in Christ. But by the time you get to 2 Timothy 4.10, He has forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. He's faltered in the faith. He's gone away. Demas loved the world. You know what? The enticement of the world is strong today, right? When when Paul talks about the actions of Demas, he used strong words, right? He used the words regarding Demas' action. The word Demas, his name actually means popular, Right? He wanted to be maybe popular. He, maybe he wanted to be famous. If you gain the whole, what would it cost you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Right? 
He uses the word forsaken. He has forsaken us. That's a heavy word. The word forsaken means totally abandoned, deserted, to leave behind. It's the idea where we get apostasy, the, the falling away. It's the same word used to express his feelings on the cross by Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time that Christ had, had broken community with his father, right? But Jesus, after his resurrection, gave a promise. We read that in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And the same author in the book of Hebrews commands the church not to forsake the fellowship, not to forsake this community, the gathering that some are common in doing. You know what I'm scared about? And I know you guys are watching online is we made church easy for you. We live in a fast food, instant world. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not how it is. It's hard. We enter the kingdom through tribulation, the scripture says. We enter the kingdom through difficulty. We enter the kingdom through suffering. It ain't no easy Barney gospel. I love you, love me. We're just one happy family. We've been through some difficult times and some hard times. And some of you have felt the, the hardness of these times financially. Some of you lost. I lost two friends during this season. One of them was a mentor of mine. It's hard. It's difficult. But we know that God hasn't forsaken us. We know the importance of being together because the church needs to be that. The church needs to be the pioneer of this COVID situation. We can't stand back, right? But what is it that draws us away? What is it that draws us away? What drew Demas away? He says that, number one, that he loved this world. You know, maybe he was abiding more in the flesh than he was in the spirits. Think about this for a moment. In this isolation at home, what are we finding right now happening in our homes? We're watching more TV. We're binge fixing, you know, binging off Netflix. We're, you know, people are jumping on, on, on computers, watching things they shouldn't be watching. People are drinking. People are using. People are depressed. You know, all these things. It's, it's impacting. We're abiding in the flesh right now, we see more and more. Hey, I don't even have to watch church at 10 o'clock in the morning because I can watch it anytime I want. I can watch it at two o'clock. I could replay it. I can do that. You know what? You're not, you're not being the church. You're just watching church. So, and I'm gonna share that right now. Guys, we are the church. We're called to be the church here. And we're seeing this being played out here that, that Demas was sowing to the flesh and not sowing to the spirit. That's why Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the, what's happening in this world. Don't let the world conform you. Don't let the world shape you. But we're transformed by God's spirit in us. That spirit needs to rise up. Arise and go. We're called to abide in the vine. We're to, and Jesus is the vine. We're to abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, we'll bear much fruit. That's the season that we're in. If we've been in isolation, then let's be in community where our own relationship with Christ right now. But we should, we should, we should have read the whole, we've been in this thing almost nine months, 10 months. Guys, you should have probably read your whole Bible now. You have a lot. Don't tell me you don't got no time. Right, you should have been ready. You should have read through the scriptures by now. You know what I mean? And you should know more than John 3, 16. All right? Well, you see that on the TV. Well, there's no more crowds in the stadiums anymore. But, but the reality is, is we should be deeper in the word in our own relationship and be grounded in this season of having community in our word. But what do we see here? We see Demas falling because he was probably abiding more in the flesh than he was in the spirits. Look at the difference between Demas and Mark. John Mark. Mark abandoned Paul in the first missionary journey, but they reconciled, Right? We did not see that with Demas. We have no scripture reference. I don't know if Demas ever came back to the faith or he just totally left and went on his own. But the key to not falling is accountability. The key to not falling in the faith is accountability to, to even accountability to our own struggles, our own emotions, our own feelings, acknowledging our own weaknesses, confessing our own sins one to another. Isn't that what James chapter five said? Confess your sins one to another that what healing would take place. Our weaknesses, right? We confess that so we can have people praying. It's not about throwing stones. It's not about jumping. It's about, I need to be girded up. I need to be held up. 
that God can do some healing in my life in this time of isolation. That's why we need the community. And so may we not be like Demas. May we not tamp out. May we finish strong. May we 50 years in the Lord. I've been walking almost 40 years in the Lord since I was 17 years old. And all these different things. I'm hoping the saints, because I've done this ministry in San Diego for 30 years. Brent's done this ministry for 30 plus years. A lot of guys are serving this church and we've seen people come and go. They start off, oh yeah, pastor, I'm gonna become a pastor. Get saved two days. I'm gonna become a pastor two days old in the Lord. Why don't you just come to church right now? Why don't you just read your Bible right now? Why don't you start serving a little bit right now before you start jumping to this pulpit? Because everybody wants to jump on this pulpit. Let me tell you something. I love preaching. I love doing that. But the kingdom is deeper than this pulpit. The work is deeper than this pulpit. Look, look, being in homes when people are hurting, being in homes when kids are running amok, being in homes when there's suicide, being in homes when they're, it's, it's deeper than this pulpit. I want you to understand the work of the kingdom. People are hurting, people are dying. It's deeper than this. I was standing here one night working in the back. I left here at 7.30, went outside the door and these two guys were out in the parking lot. I don't know what they're doing, but I started engaging with them. One's from Somalia. He was, both of them were Muslims. And for 30 minutes, we just talked about Jesus and, and Allah. And we talked about the gospel. And we talked about what I just got to meet him and just hang with him. I had my mask up. Don't get me all tripped out. Listen, listen, listen. But if I wasn't here that night, I would have never met those two men. If I wasn't here that night going out, I would have never met the minister to minister the gospel to them. And so we have to be willing that we don't falter and we are staying in this game. But we close this with also mentions Luke. I call it marketplace ministry. Luke, his name means light giving, right? He's a Gentile believer. He was the, he's this medical missionary for Paul. He's described as the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. I love this about Luke. Luke being a physician, obviously. You can't read his writing. Maybe that's why we have it in Greek. But Because you know most physicians, you can't read the writings. But he still was a man of detail because he was a physician. Physicians like to write out things and they have to write out what it is and they have to be detailed. If you look at Luke's gospel, it's a very detailed gospel because that's the characteristic of a physician who writes out the details. And he spoke a lot about being a disciple, a lot about being a follower, not as a Jewish man from a Gentile perspective right? From a non-Jewish, a non-church background, he's writing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he writes about the cost. We looked at Luke 14 a little bit. He wrote about what it means to follow Jesus. And he journeyed with Paul on many dangerous missionary journeys. Luke was a good friend who cared for Paul, physical and spiritual and emotional needs. Guys, what vocation are you using to further the gospel with people. He was a physician, he was a doctor, and he used that for the kingdom. God has placed you in positions in your work as missionaries in those places, in the marketplace, to minister to the gospel, whatever talent. In fact, go to the Webster Dictionary today and look up the word vocation. In the definition, it says, called by God to serve. That's what it says in the bit, elected by God for his purpose. So when you say, what's your vocation? You're gonna say, I'm a teacher, I'm a whatever, I'm a businessman, I'm a whatever. But go to the website, it means that God's called you to that position in the marketplace to be a minister of the gospel. That is the salt of light. We need marketplace ministries going on in our communities, in our business. What is the most group that's being hurt right now? Our businesses. They're being shut down. I was watching the news yesterday as, as a lady was weeping because she's losing her business because everything's being shut down. We need to be there as a church to minister to that woman who's losing her job and her livelihood. I don't know if she has a mortgage payment. I don't know what about her schools. I don't know what she needs to pay. I don't know how she's gonna pay her electrical bill. Guys, we need marketplace ministers to come alongside our business people today and bring a community of faith to that area. That's important right now. That's important right now. Guys, we need a community of friends. Philemon was seen as a beloved friend. We need a community like that. In fact, Proverbs 18.24 says, a man who has friends must see himself be friendly. We start there, right? I don't have any friends, but maybe we just need to be more friendly. Maybe you don't have friends because you haven't been friendly. All right, let's start there. 
all right? But there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. It says that in Proverbs 18, 24, right? Abraham was called a friend of God, James 2, 23. In fact, what does Jesus call us in John 15, 14, and 15? You are my friend if you do, not, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you a servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you a friend for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. We are a friend of God, a friend of God. And because we're friends, we know that Proverbs 2017, 27 says the iron sharpens iron. We need this community that's friends, friends community, a community that comes alongside and carries one another's burdens. We need that more than ever. And lastly, as I close, a community of grace is profitable. A community of grace is profitable. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Luke, we talked about Luke, writes this. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This list is probably answered prayers of the saints praying for the workers of the harvest. These are co-laborers. These are prisoners of Christ. They're serving along with Paul in this time. You are answered prayer that you are the laborers for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, right? We need each of you to serve. We need this community to serve, right? We need a, a community that cares, especially in this COVID situation. Many of you know that my mom just passed away about a month ago. And so we've been dealing with my dad and working through all these different things and the legal stuff and all that. But I realized that it's the Christmas season now. In fact, December is the month of my mom's birthday, so it makes it even harder. And so when I was talking with my dad, he says, no, dad, son, I'm, I'm not going to put a Christmas tree up this year. I, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm just going to stay home. And you just see this. And I said, Julie and I, and they are my sister, was like, oh, no, 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 dad. That, that's not going to happen. You need to get that tree up. Yeah. You, need, you need to... And so Julie and I, we had to go take care of legal stuff for my dad, but yesterday we stood with him and we helped him put up the Christmas tree, okay? Because dad, you need this community of people. You need our community as a family to come alongside you in this hard time, in this grieving time. God, I, dad, I don't need you to tap out now. This family is grieving, our worship is grieving, our relationships is grieving, all these things. Church, I don't need you to tap out now. I don't need you to tap. We need the community that cares for one another. We need that in the depression. We need that in the hurting. We need that in those types of things. Man, church, I know we can't tap out. And that's what's happening here. And the first way we don't tap out, guys, is that we pray. What do you have? There's a prayer of blessing that takes place, right? Paul is writing about the blessed grace, right? He, he's opened up, he opened up this book by prayer, praying a blessing. And, and now he closes it with a prayer by blessing. This is his, his benediction. He, he ends it with amen and so be it, right? In light of all that was going on in Paul's life, he was a man of prayer. And I'm sure each of these, he says, and with these people. So this whole community is praying. Community of grace prays for one another. We need to be praying for one another in the midst of that. We need to get on the phone and pray with each other in community. We need to get on Zoom call and pray with each other for community. Join us every Tuesday night when we get on, on our Tuesday night prayer team to pray together as a community. We need that. Don't check out. And I believe the team was praying. He opens up with Timothy joining them. He was praying with them, right? There was abundance of grace in their prayer time. And they prayed for favor and the love of God, that good things would come upon them. And he knew that this, this, this grace comes from Christ, from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mediator of all things. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We request in Jesus' name. We see, we see the grace of God in, in, in this whole letter, Right? We see the salvation process in this whole letter. We were, like, we were like Onesimus. We were alienated from God, right? We were unprofitable, but in Christ, who advocates us, we now become profitable. We, become, we, be, we are received into the family. And our newfound faith has made us profitable for the kingdom. And Paul closes the letter by acknowledging those profitable servants. And you pray that in the spirit, the grace is 
seated at the Spirit of God. Grace is manifest because of his Spirit. And may the Spirit sit well in your soul and will be an outpouring to others that we express our love in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And so blessed each of others with grace. Not only are we praying, but we need to be gracious with one another. We need to be gracious with one another. Christianity is no stranger to hospitality. It should be marked by that. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, all of you should be of one mind, should be unified. Sympathize with each other. Love others as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. This book of Philemon is really an example of grace. Philemon is to extend, what? Grace to Onesimus. And we are to extend grace to one another. May we be a community, may we be of friends of grace, a community of grace. What does Peter write us? That we're called to, what? We're challenged to grow in grace. Paul writes Timothy to be strong in grace. We know that our conversation is to be filled with grace. And Job says this, and this is why grace is so important, because grace should be spilled over in the midst of difficult people, right? Because Job writes this, to him who is afflicted. Your people are afflicted today. Kindness should be shown by his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. What does that tell you? We need to be gracious to an unbelieving world. We need to be gracious even to the church that are saying, oh man, where's God in all this? And there's difficulty, or things didn't work out, or I lost this, and people are just hurting and crying out. I know when Nate and I and, and Brent, we used to take a lot of kids to church, uh, to church camp a lot. That was some of our ministry we did for many, many years. And these kids would hear the gospel, but their pain, their lives are so broken. These kids from homeless homes and shelters and Palencia Skinner and all these different places. And I remember the gospel would touch them. And then they would cry out and they would, I remember some kids were breaking windows and breaking things because of the pain in their lives and the hurt in their lives. I call it spiritual vomiting. I call it a cleansing of the spirit that takes place in the brokenness of people's hearts. That's not our time to judge. That's not our time to come and say, oh, get your life together. Pull up your badge. Come on, get tougher. That's not just a time for us to extend grace. How many more people today are struggling right now and they're crying out because they're hurting and they just need God's grace. They need a community of grace right now. Amen. That's where we're at today a community of grace. Again, I remind you of these three things as you talk about community is profitable. Number one, spiritual leaders are profitable. You need people in your life that are pouring into you, leaders that are pouring into you so you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friendships are profitable, right? We see it in verse 24. The list of friends there, that was profitable. They journeyed and encouraged and do ministry together and growing together. And lastly, community of grace are profitable. We need to be gracious with one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to be gracious with another in this season as people are hurting and struggling. We're all vulnerable to that. Even leaders, we, we struggle with that. Trying to be gracious to one another. That's my challenge to you this morning as we talk about a community being profitable. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your love and your blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. And I pray your hand upon our time this morning, Lord, that you would um, look over it, that you were honored by it. Lord, I pray that the people would be encouraged by it and they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I thank you that this community will be profitable, that, Lord, you put favor on it, favor of blessings on Paul, what we do as we're outreaching, as we're ministering. Pray now as we break communion, Lord. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.